Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Now it's turning out it's not just old people, Bob. Just today and, and yesterday, some startling facts came out. It's not just old, older yeah, exactly. young people. To plenty of young people. So give me a a moment of talking to somebody going through this with Fauci or somebody who kind of uh, it caused a pivot in your mind because it's clear just from what's in on the public record that you went through a pivot on this to oh my god the gravity is uh, almost inexplicable and unexplainable. Well, I think, Bob, really, to be honest with you... Sure, I want you to I be. wanted to... Uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. You know, I admit to being <laughs> a bit of a jaded political observer. The In, in political no. parlance, this ain't my first rodeo. But, Mike, I have to say... Reading the words in that first Washington Post news story, and maybe most of all, the impactful listening to Donald Trump say that, is to me both genuinely surprising and deeply appalling. He knew how bad this was. Yeah, it is something. I mean, I was first struck by just the theater of it before I pivoted around to revulsion which was, I wonder if other, like, tin pot dictators do history were into the first name thing like that, like Mussolini. Hey, Tony, you know, you know, me and you, you know, that weird friend, Bob. It's just so creepy. But if you step back from the circus of Trump land, you have to digest. It, it makes Watergate look like, uh, you know, Mother Goose Tales. I mean, he knew. He totally knew. And he knew in something that was material, not just to tell people, but to warn them, to give them time to act to not get sick and die. Yet, it was such a calculation about his own his own deal. It uh, Right, it says all you need to know about Donald Trump. Yeah, in every horrible way. Well, look, let it, let's uh, introduce our incredible guest, Hackaroo. We have a hacks hack, a mega hack, an alpha hack, a, a hacks hack. The one and only <laughs> Joe Trippy is with us today. Joe, welcome. <laughs> The thanks. I, I think I am the hackiest hack you've had since I, I was around since 79 doing this. So it's it's uh, uh, but it's great to be with you guys. You'll get a door prize shortly for being the, the hackiest <laughs> hack. Uh, Joe, jo, obviously, as longtime strategist, uh, a best-selling author and the uh, host of the podcast, That Trippy Show. Joe, thanks for uh, spending some time with us uh, this week. Absolutely, man. But this was one, huh? I mean, the the Woodward thing is just absolutely mm -hmm. amazing that uh, he did know the whole time. And, and what I, I think matters about this, though, is that all the other, quote, private conversations he's had that never happened. Uh, and, and, of course, he had a private conversation with Bob Woodward, or thought he was. Uh, and you can't deny it because it's on tape. It's just, it's just you, you can't make it up. This is harder to sweep under the rug as yeah. fake news. This isn't some anonymous source that's that's grinding an axe. This is, in fact, uh, not our friend David Axrod uh, 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 grinding an axe. But th this is <laughs> th this is Donald Trump versus Donald Trump in his own words, in hearing it in his voice. Yeah, the tape is the different thing, and I, I'm of several minds on this. 
uh, what's what's churning around in the big empty coconut here in between my ears is one, I'm still victimized by some focus groups in Florida I was part of. We're doing our Republican Voters Against Trump uh, Orange Crush, i.e. down there. So we were talking to voters who were either independent or Republican. They could lean one way, but they weren't committed to Trump or Biden. And what they all said in every group, seven groups, about COVID was, ah, it's not his fault. They give him a huge pass. I mean, he's not done that well, but nobody would have done well. It was new. It just kind of came from China, you know, blah, blah, blah. They just give him this, this stunning pass. So the question for me is, we're actually hearing tape of him. Yeah, yeah, I lied to everybody. You know, I don't want to look bad. Come on, we got shit to sell here. You understand, Bob. Uh, will that break through at a new level or not? Or will it just reinforce people who don't like Trump more uh, and move it along? In some ways, I think the bigger impact of this beyond the cable TV newsrooms, because I, I saw Anderson Cooper's now in Oxygen and my pals over at MSNBC are swinging from the chandeliers. You know, in the Beltway, it's a huge deal. It's like a titanic thing. The problem is in Detroit, Michigan, where I'm from, Woodward is a big avenue where you used to drag race cars. Will it break through? I think where it might that people aren't talking about is all the national security stuff where a lot of these generals and everything think he's a madman. And will some of them now, having been very busy leaking for a while to the Atlantic and to here, will they come out in public and get on television? And, and create another week of this, because every day of this, even if it doesn't break through that big, and it might, I could be wrong, hope I am, is a day Trump doesn't have to get on offense. And that's a great day for Biden because Trump's losing. Well, Mike, you know, I think it's it's going to break through. I I think you're right about Navy national security, but I also think economically, the the, the place the president's been able to hold on to is is sort of at least at least sort of a dead heat or a little bit of a lead on on who's best on the economy. And he, and part of that is yep. is part of what you're saying. You saw in those groups where people were saying, "Hey, COVID's not his fault." Uh, and of course, he claimed that you know I had this great economy and COVID ruined it for me. When when he now we now know that he knew this, it also means he had it, it starts to damage him on economic grounds, not just the public health crisis. I think so. The question is, can it break through? But at least in the focus groups I've seen, there are a bunch of people in trump uh orbit that that have angst about doing this again yeah. and and covid and they're not quite sure whether to blame him for it or the economy and i think on both scores because of the tape and i agree with you the tape matters uh that's what makes this a lot different um uh it, it could have a, I, I think it could have a big impact uh on some of those more the, the voters that were giving him a, a, a some benefit of the doubt and there still are plenty in, in his orbit, uh, I think may he may continue to bleed some of them. Yeah, I think the contemptuous tone might be a bell ringer. And I couldn't agree more that Biden has to move the number on the on the economic stuff. Yeah, because if, if we have a vaccine mania, whether it's real or not, and people start getting relieved and it's down to who can start the economy again for the last three weeks of the election, that's Trump turf. So that's the needle Biden has to move. And maybe this gives him an opening, the incompetence in foreign policy and COVID that he can move over to now he's going to ruin the economy now that you know he's a clown. We talk about this. Does, you know, is this sort of baked in, right? So if you look at the latest national polling, you know, he's got about a 41, 42% approval rating, about 37% of people think he's doing a good job on COVID, 27% feel like the country's moving in the right direction, or only 27, I should say. But I, I think, Mike, one of the things you said, which is he all of a sudden, he, COVID's back front and center, 
right? Yeah, it's not right. Portland, it's COVID. And um, it's another week, and, and, and now there are fewer weeks, right? Last week, it was essentially, part of it was the Atlantic, right? All of these anonymous sources with the generals, does the president treat the military the right way? Does he treat our men and women in uniform? Now, this week, we have... Uh, we have COVID back front and center in a way, I think, in which Biden had probably wanted to move this back into much more of the national dialogue. Another week gets chewed up, um, the process of all of that. And, and you know, I doubt we've heard the last of Bob Woodward, right? Like, let, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get through, we'll, we'll, we're going to touch a second on the process of this, but the lunacy of 18 interviews over nine hours We've probably heard 45 seconds of this, of this sound. We've, maybe we've heard two or three minutes, right? Yep. There's more coming. I agree with you that normally somebody in Detroit, this may not break through. This is the Washington Post, and you're a swing voter, and you don't read the Washington Post unless you live in Northern Virginia. But, you know, th- this is – Bob Woodward is going on the road, uh, if you will, and, and a lot of people may get uh, introduced to – the melodious sounds of uh, of Donald Trump playing this down. What is interesting is also just listening to and watching the process, uh, both of you guys, for um, of of how Donald Trump <laughs> how Donald Trump got beguiled into or or the hubris that got him into eighteen of these interviews. I I saw this a bit up close in two thousand nine uh, in the White House. Uh, Bob Woodward did a book on the Afghanistan decision and the process around it. Uh, and I will say it is, um, you heard it a little bit in that recording, right? There, there is, this is somebody who meticulously reconstructs the meetings that everybody was in. And he would go to, he might go to you, Mike, and say, well, what was that meeting like? And you would tell him and he would say, oh, so Robert said this? Interesting. And then he comes and calls me and he goes to my office and he says, well, you know, I know about this meeting and you were in it and you said this and what else did you Can really you tell me about sleep? This? You know, there's always <laughs> a little of that too. And, and before yeah. you know it, in reality, he's reconstructed with, with a pretty good, pr- pretty deep knowledge of all that went on in these meetings. Now, sometimes, sometimes people hand him documents, they'll hand all sorts of stuff. I remember, um, Axe and I, I, you know, we were commiserating over this earlier. Axe and I, you know, we, we went over to his house to, to have this conversation with him, to talk through the book and the process. And, and, and from our perspective on this Afghanistan decision, and, and, you know, you go in and there's, there's a nice dinner table and these, uh, the food is nice. And I'm, I'm sure the wine had an extra little dose of alcohol so that we would speak more freely. It wasn't um, alcohol. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, you realize, I think I realized about two bites into my meal that um, I was actually on the menu that night and Axe was on the menu that night. And we know you're just going to get chewed up. And you listen to it again. He does that thing of like, well, you know, tell me, Mr. President, give me an example of like talking to Dr. Fauci. And they, he just kind of lulls you into adding to it. And, And in reality, I think we had Obama talk to him for about an hour for the Afghan book. And, um, you know, he, he gives you what he wants to ask. It's, it's not gotcha because he's reconstructed it. And I will say this, the hubris on Trump's part that he thinks that he can take maybe the greatest investigative journalist of our time and spin a tale after Woodward has talked to probably dozens, if not a hundred people for this is 
truly and utterly remarkable. Yeah, the other thing is he he's a Woodward is a master because I think we've all had the treatment of this very kind of neutral understanding tone. And so like Trump is anyway, and then I was thinking, talking to some guys about what we could really use as death camps. And then Woodward will be like, you know, that's an interesting idea. No president's ever really been able to do that. Where would you get the lumber? Oh, I know lumber guys. I got to, I'll pay half of the normal price. <laughs> really? Only half? That would be a real accomplishment. You know, and so the president thinks I'm making progress with this guy. Hello, Mount Rushmore. Well, you know, so Woodward is probably a good poker player because he, he, he can listen to anything and just kind of do the nod, and that's fascinating. And he works like you said, Robert, like a homicide cop. He puts it all together from every angle. And his other little icebreaker, if you if you blow him off and don't talk, uh, he does the old, okay, but I'd just like to get your take because, boy, your name's coming up a lot. And they're like, oh, Christ. And, and then you get you know, that sinking feeling of, like, yeah. looking at your assistant saying, can you get Bob on the phone kind of quickly? Because yeah, yeah. you have this feeling tomorrow. like he might be at the printing press hitting the button to God, go. God and you bless wanna, him. Bob yeah. Novak used to do the, the – when I first showed up in D.C., I got this – I was starting to do races and – I get this call from Bob Novak, who, you know, the Prince of Darkness on TV, and I always read his old Saturday Inside Dope column back in the day. And he picks up and he goes, kid, meet me tomorrow for lunch at the Army-Navy Club. In this town, you're either a victim or a source. Click. It's an astounding process. Well, Trump thought Woodward was a sucker. I can't, that's yeah. the hubris of it. That's what well he actually put. thought. Yeah, well absolutely. Nobody and, uh, I can't you, con. And I can tell you, yeah. speaking of suckers, I, you could almost feel Woodward reeling that sucker fish in yeah. Uh, yeah, after absolutely. every question of, like I said, just give him enough rope to let him keep talking. 18 yeah. interviews. And 18 interviews. Yes. But you know, it's not Bob Woodward. It's not Bob Woodward's voice. It's Donald Trump's right. voice. And I, I agree with you. We've only heard like 45 seconds of it. We're going to hear a lot more of Donald Trump. Not, I mean, Woodward may be the vehicle, but- right. Yeah. But Trump's on social star. media, Trump's the star. That's a, and, the, and I agree with you. It puts COVID front and center again. Um, and that's not a place he, 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 he uh, gains ground on uh, at, at all. You know, I agree we're going to be hearing more from Woodward. And I've even got a, a theory. The first book was uh, Fear. This book is Rage. And if Trump wins again, the third book is going to be You're Shitting Me. <laughs> um, but i'm uh, sorry couldn't resist yeah. the obvious joke here's there. the good thing yeah. he doesn't need to do any more interviews for that book he's got it all right no 18 there. I, yeah. it, it's unbelievable but it, it tells you something else about trump and i think you both made this point i just want to hang a lantern on it which is trump's behind 56 days till the election and in the modern era we all know that elections are two weeks long now with absentee ballots and early voting so he's really got about 40 some days to to get on offense and close a lot of room with biden so he needs good days. It doesn't happen without good days. And every day that Trump can't resist throwing himself into the news cycle by being mad at a cable TV host or getting in this fight over the Atlantic article, you know, is a day that goes away. So he's going to lose four days on this. That's 10 percent of the time he's got to move the needle. And, and that is Trump can't not be that guy to jump in the middle and disrupt, you know, a, any kind of disciplined offense that, that the ours have going. No, I, look, I've been saying for some time, I really believe the contrast in this election has been chaos versus community. I mean, that, that the president represents all the chaotic stuff and that, and that Biden, one way or another, uh, represents community. And, and, uh, uh, and the problem for, for Trump, I think, and his campaign 
is he can't change that equation. He cannot change that contrast. He's in You're exactly right, Mike. He's in, he's incapable of it. He's going to lash out. He's going to create chaos. It, this he he's created his own problem here again with 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 Woodward. But he'll continue to do it. He'll continue to lash out. And it's it's not just not only Woodward we're going to hear more from. I think this is going to be a crashing wave every day of more people more more things coming out that he responds to and 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 creates that continues to create that chaos out there that drives even more of these gop suburban women younger republicans college educated others away from him he may may pull some people in but i think he's pushing more away right now well i I think there's a real value judgment on this too obviously i mean there's a deceit a level of deceit Uh, for a long time um uh donald trump got away with not being thought of as a politician right he was the guy who he's going to say things that are on his mind because that's the way it is and he's not going to be a politician now some of that i'm sure has evaporated because he's the president but this is now the again is we talked about the power of his own voice saying i know this is really bad I'm going to go out and minimize it. I'm going to call it a hoax. I'm going to say you don't need to worry about it. It's just like the flu. I mean, it makes him sound incredibly political because the reason he's doing this it isn't about panic. Let's be clear. His entire political survival strategy is about panic, right? There are marauders collecting blocks away from your peaceful suburban neighborhood who are going to rob and pillage your house, right? This guy, the, the election is rigged. And this guy is deciding, I'm not going to create a panic because I don't want the stock market to do anything. I don't want anybody to get in the way of my beautiful narrative around peace and prosperity. Well, yeah, it also has the tone of, you really see Trump, Trump's point of view, which is the voters are rubes. You see the con man's uh, contempt for the marks here. And that's fairly new. You know, we all kind of know it, but you could really feel it on this. And that that could be a number mover to the extent there are any numbers left to move, because if Biden's really sitting six ahead, seven ahead and two to four ahead, most of these swing states he's maxed out. He's just got to freeze everything. I still see a, a lot of the uh, the softness in the vote, even with it, we're, it, as much as it is in cement, I agree on that. But there is softness, but all of it is on the Trump side. I mean, there are I see a lot of people, uh, a lot of this is a lot of Republicans having a hard time for the first time. They, they, they literally, these focus groups, you know, stare at their shoes and say, I can't believe it. But for the first time, I, I'm actually thinking of m- maybe I can't believe I'm going to say this. And then they spit out the word Democrat, voting for Democrat, <laughs> like it's poison. I know the feeling. And so that. <laughs> no, no, that's what, that, exactly. But I, I still think that's there. And I think Trump is continuing to bleed some of those folks away. And Biden is exactly the kind of, I, I think, the kind of nominee that the Democratic Party needed that, that might be able to pull still even more of those voters to him, yeah. particularly under these circumstances. Mur- Murphy knows what you mean because he's, he's wearing his third right. shirt of the day. He's, he's spit up a few times. I like to say I'm renting, not buying uh, this year on election day. But you're right. Biden's just got to be careful not to let the woke department of the campaign run wild and watch his flank because he could open up a big door for Trump there. Now, the Democrats, I always like to joke the Republicans under Trump have become the stupid party, but the Democrats are often the neurotic party. And I think, Robert, aren't there some new 
polls out? <laughs> I've noticed in the last couple of days before Woodward, which will probably reset everything, a bit of a polling panic as a few polls have come in. There's a Tide poll in Florida. There's a Miami poll showing Trump doing really, really well, which I'm suspicious of with Latino voters. You guys are Democratic veteran hacks. What What's your take on the whole tightening polls thing and and the panic and just the, the craziness that ensues? Because the, the Dems have had it lucky. Biden's had a nice polling ride for three months here. But now we're getting toward the actual. I was going to say, I'd start out by saying this. I do not think we have a sound. Uh, we don't think have any sound that we would play for bedwetting. But, uh, <laughs> but it's a family podcast. I, I can assure you, bedwetting had fully ensued earlier this week with the Tide in Florida poll. And everyone collectively freaked out. Um, Twitter certainly did. And and I think part of it is, look, you diehard Democrats can't understand why they're, they're not winning by 20. Uh, I, I give a few things that I think people should understand before we, as we dive into this one, if you look at a lot of these swing state polls, as you look at them, understand that, that Trump still is polling below the number he got in 2016, right? He, he's not pitching into the support that he was getting in most of these polls, if not all of them, Joe Biden is polling ahead of where Hillary Clinton was, right? A lot of these states are, are states Trump won that he's not leading in now. So I would say it's not a, it's not as bad as you think it is, but B um, the, the pilot is almost certainly going to tell you to buckle up your seatbelt because it's going to get closer. It, it, it's why we call them swing states or battleground yeah. states. So my, my, my thing on Florida, as we get into this, just one quick thing. In the last six presidential elections, 45 million votes have been cast in Florida. And the difference between Democrats and Republicans in that total of 45 million votes is a little more than 85,000. Yep. That's why Florida's Florida. I mean, it's going to be tight. It is, it is going to be a, a very tight race all the way there. It's going to be a one point, two point race. It always has been. In fact, if it's two points, that's big in Florida, uh, if, as Robert just said. So um, it doesn't surprise. I, I agree with Mike, though. I, I don't. I kind of question the the tide poll in terms of uh, of, of uh, the strength uh, of uh, Trump with Latinos uh, over Biden. There, I, I'm I'm a little askance at that as well. Um, but even then, you look at those numbers that. Uh, Biden's doing much better with seniors uh, than Hillary did in 2016 in Florida. I mean, it's sort of the offsets. It's a different race. It's not the same, uh, but it's going to be very tight. Yeah, I think that Biden can and probably will win Florida unless the race changes dramatically. And the little bonus, and this is something Joe j just alluded to, if you if you go win Florida by two or three votes, there's a pretty good chance you narrowly win Ohio, too. You know, it's the beginning of some tumbling dice and also Arizona, which is doing a little better than Florida. So as much as we focus on those 80s Republican presidential states in the industrial Midwest that are, you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, that are, are flipping over, keep an eye on the Sun Belt because that could be the real neck breaker. The other thing I think that is uh, key to look at, if you just back up from the ridiculous Twitter sphere of endless polls and punditry and all that, that stuff. Trump is in his own end zone in every state that counts. There's no state where like, well, at least he's got Pennsylvania locked up. No, everywhere. And some that he isn't. So it's, that's just a crappy position to be in. 
55 days out with an unreliable candidate and a, and a scandal breaking every 72 hours. I mean, how much worse could it get? And Mike, what that does is that gives you and gives Joe Biden a lot of different pathways to get to 270. Yeah, Florida's a great hedge on the industrial Midwest because if they right. start working on race there, you've still got a, a crusher. You only need one other state if you win Florida. You don't need to win all three. Let me tell you how bad this is. We, you know, in the in Alabama, you know, since the, before the 2017 election, we've been tracking quite a bit. Uh, and in 2017, Donald Trump's favorable in Alabama was 68, and he 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 beat. Hillary by 28 points. Uh, we, he's at 50. His favorable right now in Alabama is 53. What I'm trying to say is he, he has dropped everywhere. That's why he's losing in all these states. I mean, that's why Biden has a, has a substantial national lead. And I, I still think that you're going to see there's even more bleeding to go if, and I agree with Mike, though, Biden's got to be careful about letting, a, letting the door open by responding too much to to the party uh, and not uh, they've been so disciplined though I think uh, I think they're going to continue to hold to where he's at. What Biden has is the luxury of just many pathways, right? So yeah. the Clinton states plus that Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan gives you more than the 270 that you need, right? So th- there there's and then when you throw into this the Arizonas, the Floridas, the North Carolinas, as you mentioned, uh, Murphy, maybe even Democrats start to dream about Ohio again and Iowa and maybe maybe Georgia. And, you know, it, right. it, it just we get off all into a world. Look, if Donald Trump loses Florida, it, it, it's almost certainly because, yeah, as you no said, doubt. there's a lot that goes with it. And I think for people that are freaked out about Election Day becoming Election Week, um, I, look, th- there's there's an important tell about Florida. We will, un- unless we get into an Al Gore, George W. Bush situation, we're almost certainly going to know who won Florida by about 10 or 11 o'clock at night because all of right. those- and just to interject right. for a minute, just for the play at home crowd, the reason, and, and Robert's so right about this, Florida's used to big absentee and they count them as they come in. Right. So it's not one of these states where we'll get back to you on the absentee vote, half the vote, in a week, they will know 98% of right. the vote, you know, by late the night of the election. So Florida, state exactly you've got right. to win, will be clear by lunchtime the next day. And if Florida goes blue early, that yep. that makes it very tough for the right. red mirage stuff to, right. to, to, to crank in the way it, it might be. So I keep to. telling Democrats, Pasco, all the way yep. down the west side to Collier, do that right, and uh, Joe Biden is president. Right. There's no doubt. Right. I mean, that's the, that was the moment in, in 2016. I remember looking exactly, Mike, at those counties and realizing, boy, Hillary's not getting the vote that Obama did in 2012 when we squeaked through Florida. Donald Trump is really kind of blowing it out in these areas. And it is the first moment, I think, is the first moment that the, the Hillary campaign began to get really, really nervous. Um, but look, I think that the larger point on this is this race is going to be tight. It's going to be close. And, you know, my Florida statistic isn't to tell you anything other than the fact that they've, they've been close for a while. This isn't a Trump effect or a Hillary effect or a Biden effect. It's just, that's what this is. I mean, we won in 20, in 2008 in probably as good a, a democratic versus Republican year as you could imagine. And Barack Obama, we, we were, that, that race was not in doubt the last six weeks. And we won by seven points, 53 uh, 46. And, and so these things are going to get tight. If you're, if you're a Democrat, 
read polls, uh, preferably on, on the lobby floor and not up <laughs> three or four floors. Yeah. So you don't go crazy and do something. Yeah, stupid. I agree. I remember sweating out. I mean, just being on, you know, an analyst on, on television that night, sweating out at Florida and Ohio, both that in 2008, in terms of sweating how long into the night we were, you know, it looked, uh, it looked tighter than it, than it was, or the one was, was going to go one way or the other, you know, right. it's going to be tight. Even yeah. in a big win like Obama had in, in 2008, it was closer than it should have been. They don't call them battlegrounds for nothing. Yeah. So our advice to everybody is uh, less polling, more work. Uh, and also remember, polls give you a great <laughs> idea what happened last week. And I'd be focused right. on next week. So let me try what we political hacks call, ready, a pivot. Joe, you're doing the uh, Doug Jones Senate race in Alabama. Roberts old stopping yes. ground. So we got Team Bama here. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time in Alabama. I will now confess, send all your angry mail to Joe Trippy or Robert Gibbs. But once upon a time I was the media consultant for a Alabama candidate who was actually the National Committee's choice as the more reasonable candidate, a former US attorney automobile, <laughs> Jeff Sessions. Old client of mine. I ran the yeah. the media side of that race, worked with uh, another old uh political hack who's now in the anti-Trump business, John Weaver. And so anyway, I, I bumped around Alabama a lot. You, why don't you talk a little, because you've got the classic race, which the handicappers would call a long shot, because it is a state, as you say, Trump won by 28 points, and he may collapse and only win by, you know, 14 points, but it's Trump land. And Bullock in Montana, who's in the hunt, there are a couple of these states on the Republican side, they would claim John James in Michigan running against incumbent Gary Peters. That race is four to five point race. These are some of the more long shot. We're in both cases, just opposite sides of the photo negative. Doug Jones, the incumbent Democratic senator, is a real moderate, somebody I admire, will have to convince some Trump voters to also vote for him. Uh, give me your take on the race, your living it every day, your strategy, and uh, what's going on there. And then maybe we'll talk about Montana too. We have the race that's still uh, at a virtual dead heat against Tuberville. You're right. I mean, it's a it's a place where, uh, you know, in 2017, we had to get a big turnout of, uh, of in the black community and at the same time had to win over a large number of Republicans. And the suburban GOP women were moving towards us, along with some younger Republicans and college educated uh, Republicans. And it, it, that sort of became the coalition that w we ran. Uh, Doug Jones ran on a promise of finding common ground, reaching across party lines, getting things done. And that's what he's done for the, the whole three and a half years. It's been, um, you know, it's, he's been running sort of on, you know, on the theme of one Alabama and trying to keep that coalition together. So when people are getting that message against Tuberville, who, by the way, is a gift, uh, I must say, because you have to have some luck in this. I think that's what fortune. they say at the University of Miami football program. Or right. something too. Wasn't there some famous yes. loss? <laughs> yeah. 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 There he, you go. He, but he, he, you know, he careful gets on asked. the Auburn football thing, guys. Careful. War Eagle. <laughs> yeah. Gibbs War is getting Eagle. riled up here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, weirdly, yeah. just an aside. Yeah. Now you're getting close to home. There are two Auburn hacks of great regard. The other is Dr. David Hill, the Republican pollster who's working on our, uh, our uh, Operation Orange Crush down in Florida. So you Auburn guys have a way of uh, infiltrating politics. You talked about the, the idea of, of, of suburban voters and particularly right. suburban women. What are the issues that we're seeing in other races or nationally that are that are moving voters to that side? 
they literally can't handle the chaos. I mean, it's the chaos of the, that they are experiencing with COVID, the economy. And the senator, Senator Jones, has led on that stuff. And then when Tuberville got asked about his views on the economic crisis that was created out of COVID and what he would do, he, and did it on tape, by the way, said, I wouldn't have a clue. You know, Alabama has not fared as well as other places in all of it, in, in all of this, in terms of the number of cases has not gone down. And so it's still really, you know, front and center for a lot of, a lot of people, particularly women. The other thing we're seeing is uh, the same thing that you are seeing in Florida and other places, this sort of loss of older voters that are drifting away from Trump and the Republicans. It's happening with Tuberville too. And I think that is COVID related. I think it is that they're among the most vulnerable in this and people with pre-existing conditions. And, and, you know, Alabama wasn't a state that expanded Medicaid. There are things that the senator and the senator has been fighting for that. So I, it's that it's that contrast, I think. that uh, What is the old coach doing to you guys? Communist or what? what is his angle there? Because, you know, yeah, no, it's it's uh, we're Marxist, Leninist, socialism. Uh, his dad fought in World War Two to stop socialism. That's a, that's when he, he he doesn't understand. The difference, what we were fighting was fascism, not not socialism. But there's a clue, literally a cluelessness to the guy. And his only, his attacks are uh, son of Satan, that kind of stuff. It's really, uh, 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 you're going to have to send me a few of the brochures on that for my, my collection. Yeah, I was going to say, he listens to Murphy uh, talk about all of these things and, uh, (laughs) and, and just goes out on the trail. Where does the presidential race end up? In Alabama, because again, as, as Mike said, I mean, the challenge in these races obviously is in 2016, whoever won the presidential race won the Senate race. As Mike said, you've got a bunch of these places where you're going to have to find, you know, dual voters or dual hatted yeah. voters, if you will. What do you, how do you think the presidential race ends, and what's the final score of uh, of Tuberville Jones? I'll take all takers on the bet that Biden is within single digits, loses within by single digits, not double digits. Wow. That, that is big. Cause again, I, I would have said not being that connected these days to Alabama, I would have said it's a landslide for Biden. If he can slip it in, in the teens, Murphy just went to the ATM by the way, to pick you up on that bet. <laughs> no, but you could, no, no, no. You know, you could argue I might be wrong and it's 11, but it's not, it's not in the teens. It's, and I think it'll be singles. And then I think that people are missing, even in Mont- in looking at all these races, is what we're seeing is there are the, the, the very strong Trump supporters, right? Then there are those ones, the, the voters who have real angst about him, but they're still going to vote for him. And what we're seeing is those people want to check. Uh, they do not want to rubber stamp. Uh, and so... Yeah, that's an interesting pitch. You know, on, only one idiot you know, balance your ticket. Yeah, no, there's something to the psychology of that, which is, look, you can't you can't join the full uh, Biden train, but we know this guy's the centerist who, who delivers the pothole stuff for the state. Right, and, and try gets to, it done. What, what percent of the white vote do you need if you get good black turnout, you know, above average, but not like miracle? Uh, you have to get you have to get in the 30s. You have to get 32, 33 yeah, percent okay. of the white vote. So it's really that trip from 22 to 32. That last 10 percent is the is the. Yeah. The and I'm not going to kid anybody. We're we're a few not not more than two, a few points off of that number with white voters right now. We think we can get there. We were able to do it in 2017. And I like I said, I think pedophile helps. 
Yeah, the, people have that all wrong. It's not how that happened. But uh, we had the race tracking every night. We had the race. We were one point down the day before the Wall Street, the Washington Post story came out. And when it did come out, Moore actually moved up four points because he and Trump started screaming fake news. It was the Washington Post, the, the Washington elitist coming after me and lying. And for a while, people bought it. And then it started to drift away on him. That was the fight the whole time over those four points back and forth. Trump came in the Friday before the election. And damn, if if Moore didn't go up by four points on us again on Saturday, he was up by three Sunday, up by two Monday, up by one. And Tuesday, we won by 23,000 votes. If he had come in, if Trump had come in on Sunday, I don't know that we would have won. But I, there's a difference. He can't be in all these places on, on, on the day before. One. Two, he's not the same guy. He doesn't have the same strength that he had, even in Alabama. And three, the, the senator before it was the promise of finding common ground. He's actually gotten it done. And, and a lot of these bills are significant for farmers, of uh, trade that impacted the auto industry. Etc. So it's going to matter. I think both of those states, those are, are winnable, Alabama and Montana. And the thing that's keeping us in it is it is that we do have a lot of grassroots support out there that's, that's helping keep the campaign going. So appreciate it. I know an Alabaman who grew up in the suburbs there, college educated, lifelong Republican, doesn't live there anymore, but still has a hell of a twang, is a really smart, worked for me as a producer, knows her way around fire batons too, the full Alabama deal. And definitely an anti-Trumper, and I, I'll bet would probably vote for Doug Jones and some of her family might be. So, you, you know, I, there's, there's something going on there. It's just, it's a long march in a state like that. Oh, so, sure. Robert, yeah. what was your point? Let's talk a little bit about this fascinating uh, Senate race in Montana, because I'm obsessed with it. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I think it's going to be interesting, as Joe said there, where does where does the president spend his time the last sort of week of this race? Because th- there's going to be... A lot of the states that we're talking about are not states that are going to play at all in a presidential race. And unlike sort of Bush in 2002, you know, could go and take a, a obviously very different because Bush had a huge approval rating. But you could watch him, as, as, as Trippy said, you go into these different states and just watch the numbers kind of move. Um, look, I, I think the same is is. I think, as you said, this Montana race is interesting, right? It's it is a and it's different because. You've got both the candidates are really statewide, right? The, 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 he's running against the the the, the uh, you know a lieutenant governor, uh, a former lieutenant governor, a congressman. Uh, but again, the congressman is an at-large position. Uh, you know, it's a small state, and and you know the governor uh, the governor knows you. They know who you are. They've they you've been to three of their events. It's a uh, it's a fascinating thing, and I think you know again one of those states where. Democrats are going to have to figure out how do they peel off those Trump, in that case, Bullock voters. And Bullock has some history of that. He, but yep. these governors, it's tricky for them because often you can kind of get away with having your own brand as governor. Yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I'm not a Pelosi Democrat. I'm a Montana Democrat. And, you know, I deliver the this and do the that. And they get popular. But then they get into all of a sudden a, a federal race where they got to pick sides, red or blue. And the state's got more people wearing red jerseys. So that's another one where can Bullock make it a persona debate about him or is it red versus blue team in a red state? And Bullock's quite adroit. It, this is my prediction for potential surprise pickup challenger race. Uh, but we're we'll seeing. We're we'll seeing. No, I think, I think Bullock does it. And I think, again... People are missing. I think there will be Trump voters that don't want 
to send all red team with Trump to to uh, to back Trump is if he wins re-election. They're gonna they're there and Bullock has that persona and that as governor um, that independent streak that I think is attractive to um, to enough of those Trump voters three four or five points of them that that could make a big make the difference in the race. And it is a state with some democratic history. You know, Montana among the mountain yeah. states has always been the most unionized. Anyway, it's a, a very yeah. interesting yeah. case. And we'll be, we'll be watching that one and Alabama. And we will do, we promise uh, between now and the election, uh, do a deeper dive uh, on the Senate races. Uh, obviously, it, it's, a, it's a big, lots in play and, and up for a lot. I want to do one thing on this. I think... One more thing on this. Yeah, no, I think, no, on all, on the Senate. I think this is going to be much closer to 1980 than any other cycle I've seen. You had Carter, unpopular, double-digit unemployment, double-digit inflation, the ministry index, the Iran hostage crisis, different kind of crises. Uh, everybody thought the country was going off in the wrong direction. Reagan won, but that night we lost 12 U.S. Democratic Senate seats. Um, we lost 12 that night. I have the same gut feeling. I think you're right. It feels the same. This, this is not three seats. It's not four seats. I think this is going to, that's what I think you, I think Bullock is going to win that thing. I think this is going to be much, we're going to wake up and there are going to be a few people go out the window that we had, that we just couldn't believe. It, by the way, this George McGovern in, in 1980, Birch Bay went out the, I mean, there are real. Yeah, giants. it's the lightning bolt thing. Yeah. That's how the Lindsey Grahams of the world get taken out. Yeah, because under the normal rules, they they make it. I mean, if we were all in the hack time machine and went back 10 years and we're sitting in a bar in Des Moines or in New Hampshire or somewhere on the campaign trail and somebody said, here's a hypothetical, guys, you each have to bet 10 grand. The hypothetical is some TV clown is elected president. The day after he's inaugurated, uh, his numbers are in the mid 40s. His party gets clobbered in the midterms and he has a scandal where he attacks veterans uh, where he lies to the country about a plague and the GDP drops the most it has in 50 years, how's he going to do in the Senate races? And we'd all say 1980, total wipeout, heads rolling down the street. Uh, you know, So we'll see. But I, I, have, I have that same spider sense tingling there. So should we go to the, uh, you know what, Robert? The mailbag. It's listener mailbag. So if you have a question for the hacks, we want to hear from you. You can email us at our secret underground bat cave email address hacks on tap at gmail.com that's hacks on tap at gmail.com and don't forget to do a little halloween gag pretend you're putin fool with the algorithms go on apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a comment we read that stuff and tell us how you think you're doing the more you rate us there the more the algorithm will push us out to people who may not know we exist and We've been growing every week, but we'd like to keep that up as the election heats up. First question from Michael for Joe Trippi. My question relates to the approximately 10% of the electorate that are, quote, undecided. My question is, who are these people? I wonder about this in any election, but if ever there was an election where the choice was stark and clear, it is this election. So, Joe, talk about who's persuadable and who's, quote, undecided now that we're only 55 days away. Well, I think a lot of these undecideds are people who, who are not big chasing news. They don't focus as much as the rest of us. Some of us have been hanging on this for two years, three years. They're not doing that. Uh, the other, so those voters are very hard to reach. Uh, they're just not uh, uh, engaged and may end up staying home. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, people who are conflicted. 
don't like either candidate, have problems with Biden, have problems with, with Trump, uh, and they're having a tough time making decisions, soft voters on both sides. Uh, and there are soft voters on both sides. Some of it can be uh, something, a cross-pressured uh, cross voter who, who is uh, pro-life, for instance, but can't believe that Donald Trump just uh, called military uh, losers and suckers, and now is is uh, is thinking about uh, uh, moving. So there are movable voters out there. There aren't that many. That's the yeah. one thing I would say. They're just not that many. This is as much as cement as I've ever seen in any election. But there are they're out there, uh, and I think I still think that it, when you look even underneath at the undecideds and look at favorables and unfavorables and how the candidates compare, they tend to be lean more towards Biden. I mean, if you really look under the hood at the undecideds, if, uh, again, we, I know we, you got asked uh, in the past about uh, the undecided, you know, the people break to the challenger. I think in this case, there's still an advantage to, to Biden not being the incumbent and maybe being able to appeal to some of those undecideds. Yeah, I agree. A lot of them have made kind of a decision on being uneasy with Trump, but they don't know a lot about Biden and they have lean Republican history. So they're nervous about scary Democrats, but they're what got them to this position is not liking Trump. And if Biden doesn't scare him away, he'll sell some tickets there. Uh, Robert from Terrence from Tampa Bay. So this is one of those super voters. Terrence, if you live in Pinellas County, you get uh, you get extra attention from us. The Republicans are well known to campaign heavily about the Supreme Court. Why don't Democrats ever talk about this when campaigning? It seems like a very strong issue to excite base voters on the Democratic side and the Republican, especially considering RBG is in her 90s. Do you think Biden should put out a list of potential judges similar to the way Trump does? It's a great question. Uh, you know, I do think, you know, as far back as I can remember, you, you, Republicans are talking about not only Supreme Court justices, but the importance of federal courts. Uh, it, it is a real part, I think, of what you hear them talking about. My guess is that the messaging is happening. It's just not being seen at a big national level. It's not the sort of, quote unquote, message of the day. But I think undoubtedly, and, and this was the case with uh, when Scalia passed away, uh, Merrick Garland came up. But I, I think there's no doubt that what hangs in the balance in this election is is in many ways the balance of where the Supreme Court might go for, you know, the next 20 years. And so even if you don't, even if Joe Biden doesn't fly to Detroit or Scranton and do something on the Supreme Court, I, I do think his campaign and other interest groups that are running their own ad campaigns are talking to that, to, talking about that to voters that they know are already engaged in Democratic politics. I don't think it makes a ton of sense for Biden to spend the time and energy to put out a list of judges, because in reality, you're talking essentially to the choir on this. But I have no doubt that that is a message that is being put in front of people. Yeah, if I were RBG, I would check myself into the hospital on October 12th under mysterious circumstances <laughs> just to send a little voltage through democratic world. Murphy, let me ask you this one. This one comes from Josh. Uh, what's the political advantage of releasing the text of important speeches well before the actual speech? Does this drain the moment of its power? Well, that is an old technique to help reporters do their job. So they have it in front of them while it's delivered. 
And then at the end, they can quickly write a summary piece and get it out there in the old days to make newspaper deadlines. So it was in the paper the next morning. So it's it's purely a trick to help the press quickly be able to turn around speeches. Now, as you guys both know, one of the oldest tricks in a major speech is you give them everything in the early copy except the big money paragraph. So that appears to be a bit more spontaneous. But it's just a way to chew the food a little bit so reporters can turn their coverage around quicker. All right. Well, that uh, that wraps up this episode. Give it a listen. Send it to your friends. Uh, remind them that we, uh, because we live in a world with way too much political information, have enough <laughs> to do a second show every week. So uh, thanks to Joe for coming on and Murphy, as always. Yeah, great to be with you guys. Uh, hope to get one of you on the That Trippy Show in the future. Absolutely. It's a great podcast and super hack, Joe. Thank you so much. And Gibbs, always a pleasure. We will be back at the beginning of next week with another Hacks on Tap. <laughs>